Bobby Hurley up the floor with Leitner. They throw it to the left of the floor. Leitner catches, comes down, dribbles, shoots, Welcome to another 2.1 Seconds to Madness, your college basketball podcast. I'm Russell Hainline, joined as always from the Firestarter crew. We've got K-Bad. How's it going, KB? What's up, bro? How you doing? Oh, you know, I've been better. <laughs> you know, yeah. Sometimes there are just days where nothing goes right. Uh, for the listeners mm-hmm. at home, I, I, I send a little docket to, to KB every every week of what we're going to talk about, and I set up this really nice bubble watch, like spreadsheet list of information, and then I just went back and, and re-looked at it because I was having one of those days, and I just realized I'd made like half a dozen errors in it, and just, and that's not something that by itself is bad, but like when compiled with everything else that had been going on, it's just everything today has been annoying, so I'm glad to be talking college basketball and not thinking about how annoying today has been for an hour. It'll be nice. That's the beauty of college basketball. Uh, Speaking of the beauty of college basketball, let's talk about the great performances uh, that we saw last week. KB, let's start with your first selection for your all-week first team. Uh, Be Grayson Allen from Duke. um, Average 22 points and five boards in wins over Virginia Tech and Clemson. Now I know you were watching the Clemson game. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were your thoughts? Uh, he came to play. That's obvious because um, he's on my all week first team. But also um, early on, it just seemed like uh, you know Clemson got off to a decent start offensively. Duke switched to a zone, and Clemson didn't really know what to do. And I feel like it really kind of stymied them from really developing any type of offensive flow during the game. And, um, you know, it was one of those, you know, real ugly games that, you know, Duke, you know, had to win a game like this, you know, where, you know, they weren't exactly crisp themselves offensively, but, um, you know, I think they showed some defensive versatility for once and, you know, Wendell Carter, you know, came up big down the stretch and, um, you know, it, 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 watching that game, it just made me realize like if, Duke would have played this way defensively against St. John's. They win that game by 20 points. Like, like it's not even close. And Boston College. And, and Boston NC College, State, sure. sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You why know, but, they haven't been zoning from yeah. day one. We've been talking about this the whole year. Yep. <laughs> yep. I've, I've, I've got a stat here. Okay, but now it's, it's somewhat of a small sample size. Uh, this season on 35% of Duke's half-court defensive possessions, they've played zone. So 35% of their half-court defensive possessions all year. Uh, they are averaging allowing teams to score only .81 points per possession, uh, which is better than Virginia's defense. Now, granted, again, small sample size, but just to put in comparison, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, allowing 36.8% shooting mm. from those teams. And think about all the teams that should have been zoned that weren't. You know, think about, again, Boston College. NC State was such a no-brainer to zone. Mm -hmm. Uh, St. John's, no-brainer to zone there. Uh, 
I, I just <laughs> it's frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> That's I, all I, I can yeah, say. I can, I, I can I can understand why. And it makes up for a lot of their problems. Uh, you know, uh, Duval is maybe not the best lockdown defender one on one, but his his long wingspan is devastating at the top of a zone. Mm-hmm. You know, Trent and Allen again are not great one on one, but they are very alert uh, in a zone. They're good at you know traps. They're good. The three of them together running that sort of three-quarter full court press. I thought really that's what changed the game more than anything else is once they started doing that and turning Clemson over uh, at a a high rate uh, that really, really hurt Clemson's chance to stay competitive in the game. Um, And obviously Clemson missing their point guard for the game is is something worth noting, of course. Uh, But still, big win for a team that really needed it to even have a prayer at, uh, at one seed contention. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see offensively what and defensively what they do when Marvin Bagley comes back uh, because certainly Grayson had been struggling when the offense was run predominantly through Bagley uh, offensively. And then defensively, a lot has been made of the fact that Bagley has just not been as alert uh, defensively as, as maybe he has the potential to do. Uh, so... I think the offense is obviously better with Bagley, even if Allen isn't playing well. But the defense, I think, is pretty unquestionably better without him. And so it'll be interesting to see uh, how they sort of balance the fact that he's playing 40 minutes per game you know, before he, he got injured going forward. Uh, Grayson was also on my list, KB. So uh, let's get your second guy. A uh, second guy would be DeAndre Ayton, Arizona, 25 points, 16 rebounds. Four assists and three blocks in the Wildcats, 77-70 win over Arizona State. Now, you know, I, I'm not familiar with the Luka Doncic guy, uh, but Me neither. Uh, let's assume he decided not to be in this draft, right? Would you pick DeAndre Ayton number one out of the guys that you've seen? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I, I, I struggle with his motor sometimes. Sometimes he gets... Like a, he gets a little, uh, I don't want to say sleepy, because that's not that sounds more insulting than I mean it. But like he, he doesn't have as high a motor as some of the other guys. He's not as aggressive consistently as Bagley as as Jackson. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, even really as Bamba. But I mean, that skill set is is pretty special. So yeah, I don't know if it's yeah. I I, I get where you're going with. It. I just he doesn't really show a lot of emotion on the floor. Like I don't know sometimes if we kind of mistake the two because i get where you're going with it That's but fair. like for example like, like jackson is a very he shows a lot of emotion on the floor you know very physical as well um right Aiden, i don't i don't really see a lack of effort but he just isn't really a guy that really like you know if he fouls somebody he's not really arguing with the refs a whole lot you know he he, he makes a a bucket he isn't really like pumping his fist and doing things like i, I don't know i don't know that's fair yeah, I mean, uh, I also think sometimes that that big men who play like a traditional five, uh, especially with the game being more perimeter oriented uh, nowadays, that it can be easier to seem that way just because sure, they, they, sure. they tend to be less involved actively in the defense, unless they're like high flying shot blocking on a regular basis, like Kanate from West Virginia or like Macklemore from Auburn, somebody like mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, that's that's fair. Um, but I understand what you're saying, though. Yeah. I, I get it. I get it. Man. There were there were definitely games early in the season where he'd have like 12 points and like eight rebounds, and you're like, 
you know, uh, how is this happening? Right, right, right. You know what I mean? But but I you're. Mean. I think the emotion point is 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 well taken. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Macklemore, I had him on my list from this week. Anthony Macklemore from Auburn, thirteen and eleven with three steals and two blocks, and their big win over Kentucky. Uh, you know, I think Kentucky's fine to at least make the tournament. Uh, you know, they they came up big with their win over Alabama, which was very important for their for their season. Auburn, I feel really bad for them because Macklemore had a really ugly injury. I don't know if you I saw it. it no. no, man, it was bad. Uh, just looked like his foot just like broke off, mm-hmm. just, just like broke right off. Yep. Uh, so yeah, he's done for the year, and really, he was such a huge part of their defense that uh, you know, if I'm a gambler in the next week or two, I I would fade Auburn. Just because I, I I'm I'm not convinced that they're going to be as efficient defensively without him playing the five. Uh, so uh, they had a good run, Auburn, uh, and and you know they've still got a lot of guard play. So and they're real fast paced. Maybe they can keep it interesting in the tournament. But I'm I'm not nearly as bullish on their outlook as I was you know even a couple of weeks ago. Uh, who's your next guy, KB? Number three. Next guy would be uh, Shamori Ponds from St. John's. I think it's the third straight week I've had him on my uh, list. <laughs> it is. But it's a reason why. Um, he had a good game. He had 26 points, 10 assists, and 5 rebounds in the Red Storm, 77 to 76, one over DePaul. Big deal, right? Um, but he hasn't left the floor. And I was doing research and trying to find guys to put on my team. So, I, you know, see what he did this week. He hasn't left the floor since he played 30 minutes and their 70 to 54 loss to Butler on January the 27th. Mm, that's pretty good. That's a lot of minutes, especially considering how much they rely on him offensively. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know I saw I saw the stat. I forget. I'm, I might be tanking the numbers here a little bit, but I think I saw Grayson Allen. I think has been off the floor for seven minutes in the past nine games, something like mm. this. But even that, they don't rely on him as much either. Right, I mean, right. so so he can he can coast through a couple of possessions. Pons definitely can't. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. I mean, I think I, – I would assume because he's – do you consider him a pro prospect? I, I'm, I'm not convinced that I do. I'm not sure he's a guy that, you know, uh, is going to leave school early because, right. you know, of hype surrounding him, you know, possibly leaving um, to go to the draft. Um, you know, just for any number of reasons. But I think he could be – a NBA player, a guard off the bench type. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, I mean, like an energy come in and score kind of sure. guy. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it, but he'll presumably be back. Yeah, next you, year. you would think so. Right. You would think. You would so, think. Right. Um. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they choose to do. I mean, Lavette is gone. Um, but it seems like the team is is better for it. At least they've been playing yeah. a lot better. There were a lot of weird things going on around his. You know, health status. Uh, you know, was he gonna come back this season? Um, then they just find you know, just fuck it. He's just gonna leave, and we're just gonna move forward as a program. And I don't know if that was kind of like a cloud kind of looming around the program, right. like his status from week to week. Um, but didn't yeah, I, I mean, hear that they found out that he was hurt through his like family saying yeah. he was out yeah, for a I, long I, period? I, yeah, right, that's right. That's a red flag. <laughs> right. right, right. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see what Mullins does uh, going forward. Um, obviously, this year did not pan out the way that I think 
fans wanted it to, but they got a couple of big wins. So you know, maybe maybe they like. Yeah, maybe maybe they they like what they're doing going forward. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Ethan Happ, Wisconsin. 21 points, 12 rebounds, three steals in their gargantuan upset of Purdue. Uh, even last week when Purdue had lost twice, I didn't think too much of it. It was against two top 10 teams. They lost by a combined four points. I was still pretty bullish on Purdue. Uh, losing at Wisconsin like this, now granted the coal in the past has been a really hard place to win. And despite the fact that Wisconsin's been pretty bad this season, they have a lot of young players, young talented players. So, I mean, I, it's not like they're bad uh, it's just surprising to see them beat a team that is as good and in control as Purdue has been uh, for the majority of the season. And it sort of goes back to some of the concerns that, you know, we had talked about earlier in the year about Purdue maybe being, you know, a little too predictable offensively going either just through Haas one-on-one. I, I think that's made a big difference, the fact that teams aren't double-teaming Haas anymore, so there are no open uh, three-pointers. So now Haas is just left to sort of shoot five-foot skyhooks uh, a lot, or they kick it around the perimeter and shoot threes. Uh, that tends to be the entire offense. And so I wonder whether uh, they're going to have to figure out wh- whether other teams have cracked the code, basically, mm-hmm. uh, in order to keep them from maximizing their potential. But that that's definitely, if you're a Purdue fan, that's, that's a bed-shitting scenario. That's a cost-your-team-a-one-seed scenario. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they do going forward. I think they also just squeaked by Penn State. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, trouble in Purdue land. And Wisconsin, the, yeah, they won't have Hap, but the, I, I still like them going forward. And Greg Gard is not awful. He, he may not be Bo Ryan, but, you know, unless they're willing to pay Tony Bennett $5 million a year, uh, I, I think they'll just stick with Gard for another couple of years. Hmm. That'd be my thought anyway. And especially since it seems like he's not, you know, like a corrupt dude in the FBI investigation looming for all these other people. I think you sort of keep the guys that you know are clean. Uh, let's go to your fourth guy, KB. Uh, it would be uh, Mikael Bridges from Villanova, 19 points and seven rebounds in a Wildcats, 76-71 loss to Providence, but he didn't follow it up with 25 points and their 95-79 win over Xavier. Yeah, and I had uh, the big ragu, the Michael Jordan of Delaware, Dante DiVincenzo, for his game at Xavier. 21 points, 9 rebounds, and 9 assists. As as a Big East fan, how annoyed are you that you got to deal with him for another two seasons? Uh, You know, it's one of those things where if I was uh, still living under the uh, dark cloud of the JT3 regime, I would be a little more upset about it. But we got reinforcements coming in so bring it on that's how i feel okay about it. okay i like it i like yeah. it he he just he's like one of those guys it's like kyle guy at virginia or ty jerome or whatever where you see him as a freshman and he's making big shots and you're like oh god he's not good enough to go pro he's clearly going to be here <laughs> four years he's going to be so annoyingly efficient and good for four mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. he's going to make at least one big game-winning shot that's going to mm-hmm. break my heart mm-hmm. you know it, he just screams that um speaking of villanova jalen brunson versus trey young for national player of the year do you think the the tide has turned a little bit maybe brunson is the favorite at this point i think so yeah yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see since Young is still leading the nation in points and assists, and I think 
it's easy to forget that I think Oklahoma had what like 13 wins last year or something. Mm-hmm. So he's clear. They've clearly gotten much much better just because of him. Um, but yeah, if Villanova, especially if Villanova wins the Big East, sure. Then yeah, it's going to be hard to argue against him, and especially with Bagley out for you know what seems like it'll be a continued extended period. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say those would have been the three sort of contenders. And so, yeah, Brunson's got a nice nice lead there, in my opinion. Uh, and then who is your last guy, KB? Uh, Terry Maston from Baylor, 26 points and six rebounds in the Bears. 74-73 doubles overtime win over Texas, and he followed up with 24 points and five rebounds in their 59-57 win over Texas Tech. Yeah, he's been the second half of the year. He's been having himself a year. He's mm-hmm. just – I feel like Baylor always has, like, a guy that – like looks like he could play like tight end in the NFL. Mm-hmm. They've had at least one guy go on and play tight end in the NFL, but they've just got a like a like a big goon who's just gonna like beat the hell out of you just in in sheer effort and will and and strength. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, he seems like one of those guys. I he seemed like he struggled tonight. Uh, they lost to West Virginia pretty badly. Um. I think I saw that he was sort of mouthing off at Kanate. Really? I don't – I Maston's a strong – I was about to say, Maston's a strong dude, but he's <laughs> Kanate is like yeah. one of like – he'd be on my top five guys you don't want to fight in NCAA college no basketball. No yeah, really. That'd be a good we'll, – we'll, we'll, maybe we'll construct that list for next week. I think that's, that's a good list to come up with. <laughs> I like that. Cool, cool. Um – my last guy, who on maybe he wouldn't be on my list, but he's also a strong motherfucker himself, is Shaq Morris, Wichita State. Uh, 23 points, 13 rebounds, two blocks, and their home win over Temple. 13 points, only three rebounds, but two steals, two blocks, and their road win over Cincinnati. And man, God, that Cincinnati. Which, did you get a chance to see that game? Cincinnati, I, saw, Wichita State? I saw it down the stretch, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Morris was uh, – he was tough, man. And I tell you what – I. Th- I've never seen, not never, you rarely see anymore games where bodies hit the floor every possession, every time down, bodies on the ground, either because they've had the the hell smacked out of them, they went for a block or rebound, boxed the other guy out, he fell over. I mean, I, I, I want somebody who listens to this show to go back and watch the game tape of that and count how many times bodies hit the floor because I bet it was like 100 bodies a half. Like, mm-hmm. what a gritty, fun, like, old-school basketball game that was. And just at the end of the game, I mean, Wichita State, in particular Morris, had a couple of baskets where he just, through sheer willpower, they're yep. hacking the hell out of him. He mm-hmm. backs him down, he throws the ball up, it goes in. You know what I mean? Like, that's 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 how these old-school games are, are won sometimes. Just the guy who can take the punishment best is the guy who wins. And, you know, that's that's sort of what we expect from Wichita State. That's sort of been lacking in the past couple of weeks, frankly. Uh, but this was the Wichita State team that I think people expected coming into the season. Uh, you know, Landry Shamit uh, obviously plays really well. Uh, just and, and even their just bench guys, uh, I forget. I want to say it's Reeves is like sort of the, the dark-haired, like sort of lanky white kid that they've got. Um They've got so many guys who can make shots, guys who, again, are the first on the floor for the for the loose ball, for the rebound. Um, I, I just love the way they play basketball. And, 
And Mick Cronin during that game looked as constipated as ever, man. I tell you what. <laughs> he was he he was unhappy. You could tell he was mad because he wasn't doing anything. You know what I mean? Like he he's clearly one of those guys where when he's mad he's screaming, but then when he's like really, really mad, he just like has his hands in his pockets and he's quiet. <laughs> You know what I mean? In the last five minutes or so of that game, he was just standing very quietly on the sideline. And I was like, oh, man, he's going to he's gonna yell serenity now in that <laughs> locker room a lot, I tell you what. That <laughs> uh, was definitely coming. Um, good. Uh, our Elite Eight, KB, our top eight teams in the country, who do you have? All right. Uh, from the bottom up at eight, I got Gonzaga, seven, Purdue, Six Texas Texas Tech, five Xavier, four Michigan State, three Duke, two Villanova, and one Virginia. Let's see. I'm going to go number eight Purdue. Sadly, I gotta I gotta bump them down. Uh, number seven Kansas. Uh, really like how they've been playing lately. Uh, number six. I'll still go with. Oh, am I, have I cut myself off? Oh, I cut myself off a little bit. Um, I'm I'm gonna go Texas Tech still, assuming the Keenan and Evans can play. Uh, number five, I'm gonna go uh, Michigan State. Number four, I'm gonna go Duke. Number three, I'm gonna go Xavier. Two, Villanova, and number one, I'll 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 put Virginia up at number one. Uh, any any award winners this week, KB? I got a couple no. of people down here. No sir. Uh, no, sir. Ooh, child award winner uh, Hamadou Diallo of Kentucky. Three points, one of five shooting, no assists, and four turnovers in the loss to Auburn. Uh, he has seen his minutes reduced over the last few games, and his shooting percentages are all bad. Uh, KB, I, I got into a debate with a certain listener. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. If he had gone early last season, he had a very good shot at being a first-round pick, correct? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that that was the argument I was making. Uh, somebody else was arguing differently. Um, I thought he had a very good chance of being a first-round pick, and those chances of being a first-round pick have now been reduced to zero. Moral of the story, always go pro. Always. I will stick by that until my dying day. Uh, honorary Uchild Award winner Northwestern for scoring 11 points in the second half against Michigan State. Michigan State was down 27 to Northwestern and won the game comfortably. I don't I don't have much to add to that other than I don't want Chris Collins near the Duke job. Keep him away. Marshall Henderson Gunner of the Week award Matt Farrell. But this is a positive Marshall Henderson award winner. 10 of 12 from 3 KB made 10 threes, 37 points in their huge win at Boston College. Their at-large hopes are very thin, but they are alive thanks to him making 10 three-pointers in a game. Um, Ali Farouk Manesh Award. This is, again, sort of a fringe Farouk Manesh choice. Matt Mobley from St. Bonaventure. Uh, 26 points, 9 rebounds, 5 threes in their huge win over Rhode Island. I had said I thought Jalen Adams was going to go off in this game. Most people really only know Jalen Adams from the Bonnies. Uh, but Matt Mobley was the one who went off. He's averaging 19 points per game himself. Uh, if you're looking for a potential Cinderella team, if they make the tournament, they've got a senior backcourt that is very high-scoring and very dangerous. Keep an eye on them. And then Brian Zubek, award winner this week. I want to give a shout-out to Silvio D'Souza of Kansas, the guy who sort of joined, I think, a few weeks ago midseason. Uh, he had his first 
minutes of substance uh, in the game against Oklahoma when uh, both Azubuki and Lightfoot were in foul trouble. Came in, played 13 minutes, scored 10 points and 6 rebounds. Perfect from the field and from the free throw line uh, in that game. Really gave him a huge boost. Not that they needed it. They really beat the hell out of Oklahoma. But, uh, you know, shout out to him. Whenever you have your like first double-digit minute game and you play really well against a, a heated opponent, uh, that's always a good thing. Uh, before we get to our game picks, I wanted to talk about Bubble Watch this week, KB. Uh, people have asked once or twice over the last couple of weeks when we were going to start talking about what we thought about d- bubble teams this year. Uh, I was just sort of waiting until the end of the year so we'd have less, fewer variables at play. Uh, so I, I we're going to name a bunch of teams here. Uh, out of the teams that I name, realistically, at least five of the teams are probably not going to make it of the ones listed. So basically, we have to determine here, sort of in order of safest to least safe, maybe who who we think in these various conferences will make the tournament, uh, which ones do we think are like right on the edge, and what do they need to do to make it, and which ones do we think just aren't going to make it. Uh, so let's start with the Big East. I want to start with the Big East. No ESPN bias here. We'll we'll go straight to the Big East. Uh, <laughs> four teams that I think would sort of be in the bubble-ish range. Uh, Butler, Providence, Marquette, and then sort of surprisingly, Seton Hall um, has, you know, sort of not been playing very well down the stretch either. Uh, they're all, they range from 6 and 8 to... Uh, I believe Butler is now 9-7 and seven in conference after beating Creighton today. Big win for them. Um, you know, sort of middling strength of schedule for all of them. Uh, in terms of Quadrant 1 wins, Marquette has the most. Uh, they also don't have any sub-Quadrant 2 losses. Uh, how, how would you rank these four teams in terms of, you know, most likely to be in to has work to do? Um, I think most likely to be in, I would say Providence. Um, uh, I wanted to say that them beating Villanova, I think, kind of punched their ticket. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, they still got some potential landmines here in regards to potential bad losses. Um, yeah. I know Georgetown and St. John's are playing better. Um, I don't think on a national landscape people think they're good teams, though. Like, even though they've improved over the course of the season, those are still two potential big, you know, big losses they could take in games I think they could lose. Like, at Georgetown, I think that St. John's could beat them as well. So, um, I think if they take care of business and beat Georgetown, beat St. John's, I think losses to Seton Hall and Xavier may not hurt them as much. And again, um, having a Villanova win on their resume, having Xavier win on their resume is going to help. A lot, even though with the uh, the loss of DePaul, the loss of DePaul really kind of made me look at them a little sideways. But then rebounding the next game and beating uh, Villanova, I think uh, helped them tremendously. Loss of DePaul um, and that loss to UMass is also just yeah. really bad. I mean, they've yeah. got they've got three losses that are worse than Quadrant Two. That's that's probably one of the larger list of losses out of all the teams we're going to name. So sure. then it just it depends on whether. You think, and I, and I think that we would agree that at least in the past, uh, big wins do tend to cancel out bad losses. Bad losses, right? And they do definitely have two of the bigger wins, uh, certainly in the Big East. Maybe maybe just on the board in general. Sure, um, sure. 
So, yeah. So, you think Providence is best. Who, who would you put next? I would probably say Seton Hall next. Um, yeah, that win against Texas Tech is now huge. Uh, the loss to Rutgers is bad, but again, I think that win over Texas Tech definitely outshadows uh, that uh, bad loss to Rutgers. And going down the stretch again, they got that potential um, uh, potential bad loss uh, going to uh, going to Jamaica Queens. I guess that game would be on campus and playing uh, St. John's at St. John's. Uh, but again, I think if they take care of business, beat St. John's, and I think if they uh, um, you know win against Providence, Villanova, or Butler. They finished 500 in the regular season in the conference. I think they'll they should be good. Yeah, uh, they have I think the scariest remaining schedule out of everybody because at yeah. Providence and at St. John's, neither of those would be bad losses by any stretch, uh, but they definitely wouldn't help the image of the team. And then just beating Villanova even at home, I think is going to be really tough for a team that doesn't shoot the ball well. We've documented how hard Butler. I mean Butler just beat. Creighton, uh, you know, soundly tonight. And Creighton is pretty safely in. So, uh, yeah, they've, they've, I think if they lose more than two of those games, uh, you know, if, if they are sub 500 in conference and they've got 12 losses going into the Big East tournament, then they might have some work to do. Uh, I, I think if they can just hold down the fort for two of those games, they don't even need to be a big win. Uh, they, they just can't get to 12 losses. Mm hmm. Uh, and then who do you have after that? I'm going to assume Butler. I would, I would assume Butler. Yeah, then I would say Marquette. And this was I mean, Marquette. They, I think they have to finish 500 in the conference in the regular season to have a chance. Yeah, and and I mean they've the argument for them is pretty clear because they've got uh, the most quadrant one wins out of uh, any of these bubble teams in the Big East, and they have no uh, quote unquote bad losses on their on their docket. Um, you know, nothing sub quadrant two. But especially because they don't have Marcus Howard, presumably, for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is that's going to be just terrible for these for these games down the stretch. And I mean, yeah, like you said, if if they can't finish this final stretch three and one, uh, then I I think they're out. And Butler, the the Creighton win today, really good for them. Um, again, puts them at at least five hundred in conference. Both of their final games down the stretch will be pretty tricky. I think they want to avoid that 12-loss mark just to play it safe. They don't have a tremendous non-conference strength of schedule, uh, but they do have a Villanova win and a neutral court versus Ohio State, which still will look pretty good regardless of where they finish. So, so yeah, I think I think the three of them are probably pretty good, and the Marquette is probably out. Uh, let's look at the Big 12. Uh, Texas, Baylor, and Kansas State are the ones that people are going to talk about the most. And then I just wanted to bring up uh, Oklahoma as a potential bubble team, which I think will surprise a lot of people considering they were in that top 16 announcement show, what was that, like a little over a week ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're now 16 and 11. They're 6 and 9 in conference. Uh, they're going to finish at best 500. Their non-conference schedule, 115, nothing to write home about. They have six quadrant one wins, which are really good. They've got Kansas, Texas Tech, at Wichita State. Those are really good. And they don't really have any bad losses. But just, I mean, the question remains – if you are sub-500 in conference uh, and you have 13 losses with a non-great non-conference strength of schedule, I, I feel like you're going to be in danger if some of these other teams, say, like get a win on 
a neutral court in the tournament in their in their conference tournament and then they don't because Oklahoma has been tremendous at home but on the road uh, they've not been good at all so it'll be interesting to see how they finish but in terms of Texas Baylor Kansas State Oklahoma safe safest to least safe and and do you think that all all of these teams will make it or if you think someone will drop out, who would it be? I, I would say Kansas State. Just for that uh, non-conference with the schedule, three thirty-six. That's it's that's brutal, brutal. Yeah, and a loss at home to Tulsa, really yeah. bad. Yeah. And their and their best wins are you know TCU and at Baylor. Neither of those is bad, but none of them is is something to write home about. Um, in terms of Oklahoma, Texas, and Baylor, who who do you think is safest to least safe? Uh, I would think safest. Mm. Ugh, that's tough, man. That is tough. That's tough. I feel like uh, weirdly, even though they have the worst record, I feel like Oklahoma is probably still the safest just because of their wins. You know what I mean? Like their top three wins go go side by side with Texas and Baylor's ab- above them for sure. And none of these sure, teams have sure. bad losses. So, you know, I... I think again, as long as they can finish even eight and ten in conference, I think Oklahoma honestly might still pull together like a like an eight seed. They would be a diabolical eight seed for somebody to draw, uh, just in terms of their potential. Um, After that, I'd probably put Texas, uh, just because uh, their non conference is better. They got more quadrant one wins, more quadrant two wins. Uh, and they've got the toughest of the remaining schedules down the stretch. But the upside of that is also, uh, if you think they can win two of them, I mean, that you could potentially, I mean, especially if they win at Kansas, I mean, that'd be another colossal win for them. Um, again, I think they're another team that could potentially finish with 13 losses but still sneak in as like an 11 seed. Uh, and then Baylor, I mean, losing to West Virginia tonight wasn't great. Um you know, losing at home in particular. Um, but the rest of their schedule, at least as far as Big 12 schedules go, is is a little on the easier side. I agree with you that I think Kansas State, despite their better record and their better conference record than all the teams we've mentioned, I think they've got some work to do. I think they need to win realistically at least 10 games in conference. I think if they can do that, then they're probably in good shape. Uh, ACC, KB, we've got a bunch of teams in the ACC. Uh, before we even get to the ACC teams, I wanted to bring up Notre Dame. Do you think they're going to consider putting Notre Dame in if Bonzi Colson returns? No. You think they're just done though? Yeah, I think they're done. Yeah, I think they're done, too, mostly because I just don't think they're going to be able to have fewer than 13 losses when it comes down to it. And if they put a team with 13, 14 losses in, that would be – that would not be good. Um no. Yeah, so let's talk about the teams that are on the bubble. Miami, Virginia Tech, NC State, Syracuse, Louisville. Uh, all of them either 18-9 and nine or 19-8. and eight. Actually, I think uh, NC State is now 19-9 and nine after tonight. Um, you know, a, a range of Quadrant 1 wins. Uh, most of them have at least one sub-Quadrant 2 loss. Uh, wh- do you think any of these teams are out? We'll start there. Uh, I don't think any of them are 100% out. Like, I would maybe look at Virginia Tech. 
Yeah. Um, they, they, again, I, I would they, eyeball them too. Yeah. Yeah, I would eyeball them as a team that's potentially out, but I think everybody else is still in it. Potentially, yeah. but. Yeah, and Virginia Tech's got really good chances with Clemson and Duke both at home uh, and then playing at Miami, a Miami team that's sort of been on and off. You know, I th- I, all three of those are Quadrant 1 games, and especially that Duke game. We'll talk about it more, but, I mean, it'll be less than 48 hours after Duke's already played and their next game is UNC. Both of those scenarios Duke tends to lose, especially if they're on the road. Um, so, you know, Virginia Tech's going to be in a great situation to get a big marquee win there. I think if they can beat a, a Duke um, or, you know, maybe win Clemson and the at Miami, then they're probably in good shape. Uh, but, yeah, the rest, I think they're in pretty good shape. Who do you think is in the best shape out of everybody? Uh, Man. Man, you seeing it on, on, on the screen like this, it really kind of jumps out to you that it's not really – one team that kind of stands out above the rest. I mean, Syracuse having that uh, non-conference strength skip to 23, but three quadrant one wins. Best wins, Miami, Louisville. That's okay. Uh, I'm, mm. I, I look at NC State it's, a little bit, even with that bad non-conference, yeah. because they've got the five quadrant one Best wins, wins. Right. and they've got the wins versus Duke and Duke. at UNC. And Arizona, man. Yeah, and neutral court versus Arizona. I mean, that's the best set of three wins out of all these people, yeah, all including them, yeah. including Virginia Tech, who might have the best win out of any at-large team, that win at Virginia. At Virginia, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Virginia Tech's non-conference strength of schedule is the second worst out of all of the power conference teams. Do you know who the first worst is? Georgetown. That's correct. But Virginia yep. Tech is not that far off. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, people laughed at Georgetown's non-conference strength of schedule and Virginia Tech – you know they're they're on the bubble. I, I I believe Virginia Tech. If they can't beat Clemson or Duke, they'll be just another classic Seth Greenberg esque Virginia Tech team that has like twenty one wins but misses the tournament. But yeah, I think the rest are in pretty good shape pending a collapse. Uh, do you think David Padgett has the Louisville job next year, Kippy? That's a good question. Uh, when I saw that the Louisville AD was announcing some big news today at noon, I, I assumed that's what it was. Um, I saw that Louisville fans weren't too happy about it. I, I still believe they feel like they should get some big name to come in. But I think all things said, I think he's done a pretty good job. And I think it's obvious he would want the job. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I. Yeah. I, I also just don't know what they can do. I, I feel like he might go just because he was one of Patino's guys. You know what I mean? That they might that they might just, especially in light of all this and the FBI hammer, presumably that probably played a part in what the punishment was for this. I feel like maybe they they might just like want to try to, a clean slate. Yeah, I get uh, that. And so he'd get thrown under the bus, obviously, for that. But I agree that he's not done a bad job at all. I mean, he's over right. 500 in conference. Mm-hmm. All things considered, you know, especially with the loss of Brian Bowen, that's that's not bad at yeah. all. Yeah. Uh, Big Ten, two teams we talked about, um, I think, last show, Nebraska and Penn State. What do we think about them? Are either of them safe? Uh, are either of them out? I don't think either one of them is safe. I wouldn't necessarily see either one of them out. I think that Nebraska is going to have to have a little bit of a run in the Big Ten tournament. 
to get in. Um, Agreed. Non-conference strength schedule 276, not good. Zero quadrant one wins. Mm. It, it's, and they have a really bad uh, one-sub uh, quadrant two loss, so that's not going to get it. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Even if they get to tw- 13-5 and five in conference, which, yeah. just, which just shows how bad the Big Ten has been. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And then and then Penn State. Yeah. Um yeah, sweep of Ohio State, that's good. Those are the two quadrant one wins. Non conference with the schedule, not good. Um and, you know, not a lot of opportunities left to get a big one. I mean, they could be Michigan and I think that would be good. Um, I think that definitely would help them kind of preview to something later on in the show. Uh Okay, and, okay. Yeah, and then of course they got Nebraska, so they could probably possibly put a nail in Nebraska if they can uh, if they can beat um, beat the Cornhuskers there. But um, if I was either one of these two teams, I wouldn't be sitting back, kind of feeling good about my position right now. So yeah, I think they've got to win both of those games. I, I and if they don't win that game at Nebraska, then they've got to have a, a deep Big Ten tournament run because if you finish five hundred in a conference that's this bad. Uh, and your and your only wins are against one team, I uh, th- that's then that's not enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's enough. Uh, and I like I really like how they've been playing. I, I almost put Tony Carr on my all week team this uh, this week, but uh, but yeah. Uh, speaking of conferences that are that are bad, <laughs> uh, the Pac-12. Um, three of maybe the most interesting cases in the bubble: USC, UCLA. And Washington, all sitting at either eighteen and nine or nineteen and eight, nineteen and nine. USC and UCLA both at ten and five in conference. Washington currently at eight and six, but Washington does have more quadrant one wins than USC and UCLA. Uh, com- has as many as they do combined, um, but Washington also has worse losses. Uh, what do you think about these three? Uh, Washington uh, definitely sticks out for their non-conference strength of schedule at 26. Uh, the quadrant wins, like you said. Bad losses, yeah, at Oregon State, Stanford, yeah, those are bad. But again, uh, I think beating Kansas, beating Arizona, beating USC kind of overshadows those. Um, yeah, uh, I would think of all these teams, they would be in the best shape. Uh those losses, are, yeah, yeah, but again, I, mean, I think I think they just they've got to win out, in my opinion, because all all, all four of the games left are not quadrant one. I yeah. mean, the Oregon game would be quadrant two, but like at Cal and Oregon State would definitely be sub quadrant two. Uh, Stanford, even if it sneaks into quadrant two at the very tail end, is still not a good loss. You can't get swept by Stanford and make the tournament. So I think they've got to win out. Go to twenty-two and nine, twelve and six in conference. I think if they do that and avoid a bad loss in the Pac-12 tournament, that they're in good shape. But I do think that they have work to do, just in the sense that they've done enough, but their bad stuff is bad enough that they can't risk adding to that pile. Uh, USC UCLA. What do you, what do you think about either of them? Man, uh, I don't know if you could be USC have one quadrant one win. Non-conference schedule is not bad, but have one quadrant one win. Uh, your best one be Nutricore versus Middle Tennessee and actually have a loss to Princeton. 
Yeah, the worst. That's, that's that's not a tournament resume. The worst loss of any at-large team by my immediate search. I, it seemed like it was quadrant four. Uh, it might, yeah, yeah. It might have even been below that. Is is there a sub quadrant? Is there just like a basement quadrant? <laughs> you know, what I mean, it was it's it's bad. Um, so yeah, they've got they've got work to do, and they just don't have a lot of opportunities to do it. Uh, even yeah. winning at home versus UCLA doesn't really move the needle much. Uh, and now they've lost Benny Boatwright for the season. Um, yeah, I think they got to do a Pac-12 tournament run. Uh, do you think UCLA is in? No. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think UCLA. The, I think UCLA would probably be in today for a couple of reasons. For me, one, just because their best wins are pretty good at Arizona in neutral court versus Kentucky. Even though, yes, Kentucky's been down this year, that's still a good win. Um, their worst loss is at Oregon State, but I mean it's in conference. Their non-conference schedule isn't that bad. Um, they got three road games left. Uh, again, I think if they can go two and one in these, finish it, you know, twenty-one and nine, right? Uh, then beyond that, uh, the fact that UCLA is a money maker. I, I mean, I, I I genuinely believe no matter how much the committee says that like that doesn't play into what they do. I firmly believe that unless, like, if they have an argument they can make to include a quote-unquote big-name team or a big-name player, like, then they'll make it happen. And I think UCLA will be close enough that they could be, like, an 11-seed play-in game. Um, They could make that happen. There's certainly talent on that team, and there's honestly enough talent that they could be that 11-seed that does the play-in and then beats the 6-seed and beats the 3-seed. I mean, they've they've got a pretty high ceiling. They're just all over the place. So I I think UCLA will make it, uh, not for that reason alone, but that reason will definitely help. Uh, And I would say USC is probably the most on the precipice. Uh, And then the last two I just wanted to mention, Temple – 15 and 12, 7 and 8 in conference is bad. They do have a top 15 non-conference strength of schedule. Their three quadrant one wins, neutral court versus Auburn, neutral court versus a healthy Clemson, and then Wichita State, uh, easily the best three wins of any of the non-major conference uh, resumes. Uh, They do have a grip of bad losses. Uh, So what do you think about Temple? I think they would have to make a run in the AAC tournament. Um, Numbers-wise, it doesn't look that bad. Um, Again, because, like you said earlier, good wins can um, outweigh really bad losses. But at the same time, to have four uh, sub-quadrant two losses, um, that's that's not good. And um, it's sub-500 right now in conference. Yeah, they would have. To, they got some work to do. And um, all they've got left are landmines. That's the other bad thing. Is like un- unless yeah. they play Wichita State or you know Cincinnati, maybe Houston in the AAC tournament. Th- there's just there's nothing but bad stuff in front of them. So you know they've got to, They've got to make a deep run. And then if they if they lose to a really good team in the tournament, like a tournament team in the AAC tournament, then maybe they could sneak into the play in. But it just depends on how much they weigh the the big wins versus the bad losses. I mean, this, this is the story of every year. And then St. Bonaventure is honestly my most interesting resume, frankly. Uh, 20 and 6 overall, 10 and 4 in conference, non conference strength of schedule, pretty good, 57. Three quadrant one wins, four quadrant two uh, wins. 
Two sub-quadrant two losses at St. Joe's and Niagara are not good losses. Uh, but their best wins, I mean, they got a win versus Rhode Island. Uh, that was really good last week. they got to win at Syracuse. Um, you know, they've got some road games coming up that could add some quadrant two wins to their resume. Uh, do you think the Atlantic 10 will be a two-bid league, KB? They got work to do as well. How much work they have to do? Uh... You think make it make it to the uh, win out, make it to the Atlantic Ten Finals, lose to yeah, Rhode Island? That should do it. Yeah, that that sounds about right. Again, same thing with Temple, where it's nothing but landmines down the stretch. Uh, very small margin for error, but uh, but I like them. I I believe they can do it. And again, that this team smells like a play-in team to me. Uh, let's talk about our game picks this week. KB uh, Auburn at Florida. Who do you got? Going Auburn. Yeah, now that Macklemore is gone to that big thrift shop in the sky, uh, I'm going to go with Florida. Uh, Villanova at Creighton. Nova. Yeah, Creighton did not do anything to inspire me tonight, so Villanova. Kansas at Texas Tech. Undoubtedly the game of the weekend, K-Bad. Going Tech. I will go Tech if Keenan Evans plays. There is a possibility that Keenan Evans will be hurt, and if that is the case, I think it is lock city for Kansas. Um, there's just this dread that I feel, K-Bad, that uh, Kansas will just – that Keenan Evans' injury was like the basketball gods saying we're not done with Kansas yet. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, so we'll – We'll see, and and just the fact also that if Keenan Evans is not a hundred percent, they could also lose to any other Big Twelve team, also. So they just they, I, I the three man weave podcast made a really good comparison where they said he, he's basically the Cinderius Thornwell for this team, South Carolina, where he's such a key component of their defense, and then for their offense, he's nearly everything. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really want to see him healthy before I before I fully support Texas Tech in this game. Arkansas at Alabama. Uh, Bama. Yeah, I'll go Bama as well. Wichita State at SMU. I'm gonna go Shockers. Yeah, SMU since some early good play has not looked as good recently. I will also go with the Shockers. Missouri at Kentucky. And bonus question: Do we think Michael Porter Jr. is coming back for this game? Um, he shouldn't. He might, but he shouldn't. Just sit him out this year. I'm going Kentucky. You're, so you're picking Kentucky? Yeah. What if Michael Porter Jr. plays? Oh, he plays. I'm going to pick uh, Missouri. Yeah, even if even if he's on a uh, a minute uh minute count. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like you know, this is the whole Kyrie Irving thing all over again. You know what I mean? Like I. I understand, and, and Harry Giles for that matter. I, I understand that players want to play, yeah. I mean, especially a guy like him who probably thinks that he should be a lock top three pick, mm-hmm. and he's probably thinking like, "I'm gonna slip to seventh maybe because I'm not able to show any game tape against." Top flight opponents, and you know, especially if he thinks he can be healthy in the tournament. Maybe make Missouri, you know, win a couple of games in the tournament. You know what I mean? Like, I, I understand why he thinks that'll earn him a few million dollars more. Um, but at the same time, if he's got a guaranteed top ten pick right now, which I believe he does, 
then I also understand the reason to sit him out. I, I believe he will play, regardless of whether he should or not. Uh, I, I think that if there's any doctor that says he should play, that he'll go in and play. Um, and Missouri's been playing pretty well recently anyway. Um, it's at Kentucky, so I, I like Kentucky here, but a Missouri win, especially if MPJ plays, would not surprise me in the slightest. Uh, Duke at Virginia Tech. Uh, I'm going Duke. Yeah, this is definitely, if you're a gambler, this is the sexy onions pick right here for all the reasons I stated earlier. Uh, at the beginning of the season, this is a game that I put down as a lock of a loss. I was confident Duke would lose this game. This screams Justin Robinson making nine three-pointers. Uh, it, 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 there's disaster written all over this game. The zone has been good enough to to make it more, uh, to make my prognosis a little more positive. Um, but again, if you're a gambler, you're going to see like a Duke minus 5.5 line, something like this. I would hammer Virginia Tech in the points here. Texas Tech at West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah, again, especially if Keenan Evans is out. that That's just a nightmare scenario for them. Uh, Texas at Kansas. Kansas. I'm going to go Kansas, too, but this is a sneaky good game. I think that Texas just matches up really, really well with Kansas. Uh, obviously, Kansas is going to get the foul advantage. By the way, I didn't get to ask. Mm -hmm. What did you think of the West Virginia-Kansas foul controversy? Um, I didn't uh, catch up on that. Oh, you didn't catch up on it? Okay, so nah. Huggins got Huggins got thrown out of the game. I heard he was, yeah, I heard he was pissed, yeah. Yeah, uh, the free throw uh, disparity was 35-2, to two, where yeah. Kansas took 35 free throw attempts and West Virginia took two all game. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Huggins at the end, dude, you got to see the clip of it because in classic Huggy Bear mode, he's got the windbreaker on and he's holding up his pants with his hands because they're yeah. falling down. Yeah. And he's just running Fall out on the court. He knows the game is over at this point, so he's like, I'm going to get my ass kicked out of here. You know, just just to make a point here, um, and he had some really good things to say uh, post game as well about how referees should be made to answer questions to the media as well. That they should basically have to do press conferences the same as the coaches, the same as everybody else. Why shouldn't they be held accountable to media scrutiny the same way that everybody else is? Do you have any thoughts on that? No. Fair enough. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good idea. But, yeah, 35-2. to two. And, and granted, you know, uh, West Virginia fouls a lot. <laughs> and they also take a lot of jump shots. But 33. And it wasn't even like it was a bunch of auto-fouling at the end of the game. Like, I think right. when, when Huggy got kicked out, they had already taken, like, 29 free throw attempts. You know what I mean? So, okay. so, yeah, once you factor in the foul thing, I feel like it's hard to bet against Kansas. Um especially for a team like Texas who's really going to try and get after it. But uh, but that's going to be a sneaky play as well with the line. I would probably pick Texas in the points on that one. Uh, any other Onions picks you want to throw into the mix, K-Bad? Yeah, I'm just going to go all out and say Georgetown over Xavier tomorrow. I've, I've got that on my list. I've yeah. got that one on my list. I love yep. it. I, <coughs> I got so excited. I loved how they played uh, against Xavier last time, and now it's at home. At home, mm -hmm. Xavier might be a little complacent. They got that one yep. seed. Yep. Georgetown probably trying to lock up that NIT bid, trying to make sure that there's no room for error there. Yeah, I I, I like that pick. 
Well, Patrick Ewan did say yesterday or the day before that his goal for the season is to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, big Big East tournament it is, baby. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> That's what he said. So hey, you know I what? Like, I like the confidence. Sure. I like the confidence. Yeah, and 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 he should say that, even if he knows it's not realistic. That's a good thing sure. for a coach to say. He shouldn't be settling. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, with the way Marcus Derrickson's been playing, I mean, um, yeah. miracles, miracles. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I had Georgetown over Xavier on my list as well. Uh, and I have Penn State over Michigan, too. That's it. Yeah, I also have Penn State over Michigan. I've got a grip of them uh, this week. Let's just go down the line. Uh, I've got Virginia Tech over Clemson, uh, especially if Shelton Mitchell's still out. That's just a nightmare scenario for Clemson. Um, Gabe DeVoe was ooh childworthy against Duke. He was just god-awful. I, I don't think he is going to be able to shake his slump against Virginia Tech. Um if Keenan Evans doesn't play this week against Oklahoma State, especially if they're looking forward to that uh, Kansas game, Oklahoma State winning at home over Texas Tech is extremely possible. Uh, again, if you're a gambler, I really like that pick, especially if Evans is out. If Evans is out, I would take Oklahoma State to win straight up. Um, I already said Florida over Auburn. Um, I'm also going to take Maryland over Michigan. I'm not 100% sold on Michigan, uh, especially in a road game scenario. Um, they've, they've got some good pieces. they got, like, a nice little backcourt. They've obviously got Wagner. You know, they got they got some good stuff going on there offensively. Um, I'm, I'm just not convinced that they are a team that's better than, like, like nine seed material, even if they're playing better than that right now. Uh, so I, I think they come crashing back down to earth a little bit this week. Uh, I like NC State over FSU. Um, you know, a bit of an onion uh, scallionsy pick. FSU's ranked 25th. Um, but I like NC State at home in that scenario. Um, I got Arkansas over Auburn. I think I mentioned that one already. Uh, Mississippi State over Tennessee. Uh, my boy, not my boy. Don't know why I said that. Ben Howland. <laughs> Coaching mm-hmm. for his job, maybe. Um, you know, they've been pretty good at home, all things considered. And, again, Tennessee, uh, some of the air has come out of the tires a little bit uh, for them. So I like Mississippi State at home in that scenario. Here are my bigger ones, K-Bad. Um, Arizona is losing a game this week. Okay. I, I, I think the most realistic one is Oregon over Arizona on Saturday. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, but on Thursday night... If you want the the bloomin' onions pick, the unlikely pick, Oregon State over Arizona on Thursday. Whoa. The trap game, KB, the classic Man. trap game. Mm. They're going to be playing Oregon 48 hours later, looking ahead to it a little bit, sleeping on Oregon State. And they have not been very good this year, obviously. I don't think that's you know a surprise to anyone. But they do have talent. And Drew Eubanks down low is not DeAndre Ayton sized, but he's probably one of the better big men in the Pac-12. They've got some good wing play, some good guard play. Um, they don't shoot the ball terribly well, but they're going to be aggressive. Uh, you know, that's obviously the less likely one. I think if Arizona wins that game, then they definitely lose to Oregon. Uh, but Arizona will lose a game this week. If you're a gambler, keep an eye out on that one. And then finally, um, BYU over Gonzaga. BYU has beaten the Zags once each of the last four seasons. And they haven't been good the last couple of years. Um, 
I just don't see that changing. I uh, I think that uh, I think that their coach has Mark Few's number to some extent for some weird reason. The last three wins BYU won all were at Gonzaga. I mean, so uh, BYU plays Gonzaga tough every year. The first game was pretty close at B uh, at Gonzaga. Um, now they're at BYU. I like BYU to catch a sleepy Gonzaga team, a team feeling you know a little bit more comfort after St. Mary's just lost to San Francisco. So uh, yeah, lots of onions picks. My onions picks the last couple of weeks have been pretty good, listeners. So if you're a gambler and you're looking to uh, to make some money, even if you don't take my picks straight up, take the points, baby. I'm telling you, I'm I'm on a I'm on a bit of a heater here. So uh, those are my onions picks. KB, we uh, we basically did a perfect hour here. Nicely yep. done. Uh, where can the good people find you? Uh, they can find me uh, Thursday mornings. We publish the Hot Five Starter podcast. You can go to wherever you listen to podcasts, search Hot Five Starter. And, um, yeah, we talk about it. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff this week. Looking forward to it. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at KBADS. That's K-B-A-D-D-S. I'm Russell H. Film. Uh, everywhere we are dropping. Have we already dropped it? Are we dropping our Black Panther episode today? I think so. So if you want to hear some reviews of Black Panther, uh, that's Long and Late Movie Show, twitter.com slash L&L Movie Show. Uh, spoiler alert, they're all positive. Uh, nah. So, it would have been much better for our clicks if we had somebody just shit all over <laughs> Black Panther. You know what I mean? <laughs> but boringly... Uh, you know, we just we just all thought it was really good. Yeah, well. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Ryan Coogler. <laughs> um and we review a bunch of Netflix stuff and whatever. So uh so yeah, check that out as well. Um if you're a beer drinker, Russell H beer on Instagram. Uh doing some decent numbers there. People like pictures of beer. Who knew? Mm -hmm. So check mm -hmm. it out. Uh, and this podcast is on uh, Twitter at seconds, the number two madness. Thank you to everybody who follows, everybody who tweets. Thank you last week. Oh my God, I couldn't get effing iTunes to work, to load, to reload any of it. I emailed them. I did all this stuff. So the episode didn't go up until something like Thursday, uh, Thursday night, maybe even Friday morning. Uh, so thank you to the multiple listeners who reached out to both at seconds to madness and to my personal Twitter to go, Hey, uh, it's not up yet. Or, Hey, the wrong one is the newest episode. Fix it. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> it's annoying mm -hmm. at the time because I know there's a problem, but then it means that the, the really good episode that KB and I recorded last week actually got to be listened to because everybody tweeted at me. So thank you to everybody for doing that. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, if you did that and I and I didn't follow you uh, with the Seconds to Madness Twitter account, tweet at me. Let me know if you listen to the show. Tweet at me. I will follow you back. We want to engage with our with our listeners. So uh, so thank you to everybody there for that. I, I really really appreciate it. And uh, thank you as always, UKB. No problem, bro. Appreciate it. So see, I'm in a better mood. I talked about college basketball for an hour. Forgot about the world for an mm. hour. That's that the healing power of the sport. That's what it is. Uh, so, 4K bad for myself, Russell Hainline. This has been 2.1 seconds to madness. Good night. To the beach, y'all.